Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly matter. to another episode of a whole mood i think you know this season it's kind of funny because i feel like the year is definitely capping and i'm kind of like reflecting at this moment right now because it just seemed like this year was so long but going through it it just felt like the months were going so quickly as i was getting through the year it seemed like it was slipping through my hands but when i think back of the year I think like, dang, that happened this year. So much that was happening. But anyway, today's episode is called Esteem. And so I brought on a guest very similar to my last episode. In fact, they were schoolmates. They went to high school together. And they also, we all worked at Cumulus as well. So I'm bringing on, oh my God, just a person that just has the purest heart, the purest energy. Our commonalities are so great as far as like, we be unbothered and we just mind our business, okay? (laughs) I just knew she had greater goals just as well as I did when we were both at Cumulus. Like, we've been outside of Alabama. We've done all the things and we just knew that there there was so much out there than just being in Mobile. And that was kind of like a great connectivity that I had with her. And so I want to introduce to you guys Enchantress. I call her Shane. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. I am so glad to see you pursuing your dreams. So excited about this. And so glad that you're allowing me to be a part of it. Absolutely. No, I figure you have some great stories because Shan has been in Arizona, Shan has been in so many different places and started chapters like I can't even imagine. So I figure when it comes to esteem and when it comes to like building yourself up, there is a level of esteem. Every person that I come across is like, oh, I never would have been able to do that. So it's like great to have a person that's like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll go, whatever. I'll go to China. I'll go, you know. Yes, I mean, Mm -hmm. What's a year? Like you just said, I mean, yeah, it seems like the year has dragged on, but at the same time, it's gone by super quick. Like 22 is literally slapping us in the face. There's so much growth you can have within a year. If you literally have nothing holding you back other than fear, then, I mean, that's not an excuse to me, (laughs) but if that's really the only thing keeping you from at least giving a year of your life, then I don't see the problem. So what does it mean? To love yourself. Ooh, you starting off. <laughs> you starting off coming out swinging. Um, to me, <laughs> to love yourself, it means making you number one next to God. Let me just let me rephrase that. It means making sure that your mental health is in check. I'm a very huge advocate of mental health and therapy. I think that especially in the black community that is looked down upon. I see that we are making strides, but we still have a long way to go. It's making sure that when you walk out the door, you have the confidence to face whatever is coming your way. Trusting in yourself, believing in your skill set, that's what it's about. Also, in loving yourself, convincing yourself that you are worth it. I think love comes in a form of service to yourself more so than just measuring up to service for others. I think the world is always constantly like drilling in our heads like to be doing unto others, doing unto others. But they forget to say, you know, you have to pour back into yourself as well. And I think very often like we forget that main thing is like if we're not okay, then we won't be able to, you know, do anything for anybody. 
I 100% agree with you. If you are depleted, how can you sow into other people? At the end of the day, if we don't bring our best selves to other people, then how can we make a difference in their life and help them out? I think, too, we all have to realize that the struggles that we go through is to be a blessing to others. But in the midst of that, we have to recharge. We have to refuel. And I know that refuel looks different for everybody. Mm-hmm. So what does the word happiness mean to you? Happiness to me is a daily choice. Mm. You know, there's the comparison with joy. Joy and happiness to me are two completely different things. Joy is, you know, what you feel when like a new child is born. Joy is more of a constant thing. You know, they speak about that in church. But to me, happiness is a daily choice. To me, happiness is, I know that I'm about to go put in 40 hours this week of a job that underpays me, underappreciates me, but I'm going to still walk in there with a smile on my face and I'm going to get through that week. Dealing with a family member or a friend that you know doesn't necessarily mean you any good, but you're still going to step out and help them and accept them no matter what that is and be okay with the outcome. I think happiness is a choice for sure. I think the epitome of happiness and what it means to me is being okay with where you are presently. And I think I talked about this in the manifesting episode where me and Alyssa both agreed what we were saying, being grateful and just steady in where you are right now. Not constantly focusing on things you don't have or things you aspire to have that, you know, that are not in your grasp right now. Because if you're not grateful for what you have, and you could easily like lose those things you have and be in a far worse situation, then mm-hmm. that doesn't ring total happiness. I think, too, going back to what you just said, that we live in a world right now that we're constantly grinding and striving for more than what we have, right? Mm-hmm. And it's materialistic stuff. It's not stuff that feeds your soul. It's, okay, I got to get the new Gucci or you know, the new uh, Mercedes or the new Maybach or whatever it may be. Everything is based around physical and material, which, as we all know, depreciates. And as that depreciates, your ha- your happiness, that daily choice you make, is going to depreciate. I think we have to kind of reevaluate what makes us happy. We have to be like, okay, God, I trust you. I trust what you're doing in my life, and Lord knows I'm going through that right now, and I have gone through that in the past, Mm. to be content to where God has me at, because I like to jump. I like to jump. You know me. We've had these conversations, and I like to jump ahead of God and jump ahead of my guardian angels, and I have found myself in really bad situations because of it. Come on, Virgo energy. You gonna stop (laughs) doing me like that. But the crazy thing is my rising sign and my moon sign are Libra. Isn't that crazy? Ooh! (laughs) But, yeah, I, I, I have a tendency to jump out when I know I had no business jumping out. And then I always mm-hmm. find myself needing help, which I despise. That's another Virgo trait. I'm not supposed to be back in Alabama. That's my whole mindset. But God is mm-hmm. like, but here's the thing. You probably wouldn't be had you not jumped out ahead of what I told you to do. So mm. sometimes we got to, even though it hurts and even though it's so painful and so uncomfortable, a lot of times we just got to sit down. Sit down, be still, learn to know when you are actually supposed to step out on faith. That is the truth. And I think that's the scary part for us because we always want to see what's on the other side. When we're in situations where we feel cornered or we don't really know what's happening, I'm just coming out of it. And I'm thankful to say that because it was scary, but I kept getting notes and notions from people to say like, Alon, sit down. You Mm -hmm. frustrating yourself. You sit here doing all these somersaults and hurdles, but where is it getting you? Like, sit your behind down and let God do whatever he got to do. And let me be a testament for y'all again to say it works. I mean, don't just sit on your ass and do nothing for sure, but do whatever makes you sane at the end of the day, because mental health is also key, too. We have this misconception, and I've, I've felt this way in the past. Like, when we're sitting mm-hmm. still, we feel like we're not doing anything to get ahead. Sitting still doesn't mean 
you know, you completely stop your grind. You completely stop giving up on your dreams. It just means you're working towards them, but you have to stay in the current place that God has you in at the time. So in terms of like choosing happiness, right? Both of you and I, our parents come from a Southern background where Southern moms or Southern parents or Southern family members, they tend to have the habit of putting their happiness towards someone else. It becomes a bit of a problem because I think I'm experiencing this now with my mom. Now that she's retired, I don't know what my mom's true interests are or what makes my mom happy other than caring for somebody else and to me that doesn't scream to me ultimate happiness i don't think she knows how to pour into herself because she's always been under service or she's been raised to be of service to so many people growing up that's all i saw my mom do my mom's one of 11 my grandmother was sick you know and her afternoons were spent taking care of my grandmother And I mean, this may sound selfish, but as a kid growing up who was in extracurricular activities, I didn't understand why you got all these other siblings and you the one at the house. And yet I ain't got nobody in my corner screaming for me in the stands. You know, I did not understand that. As I've gotten older, I have, but I've also realized that has kind of formed a wedge between me and my mom. Mm. Something that over time I have gradually learned because it wasn't until I went to therapy. I always thought a lot of the issues that I struggled with esteem and how I felt about myself and how I allowed myself to be treated by people, letting people drain me because I was always pouring into them and not finding people who would reciprocate it came down to the issues I had with my father. And in the midst of me, you know, pouring out my heart about what my dad had did, what my dad had did, I realized, okay, yeah, your dad has done a lot and you are screwed up because of a lot of things, but you also got some issues stemming from your relationship with your mom. There's some things that she said and did to you because she was short-tempered, because she was overworked, underpaid, trying to take care of me and my brother, trying to help out with my grandmother and some of that, her frustration and anger got projected on me. And it wasn't until I was adult, I realized I really had serious issues with her because of that. Like I said, through therapy, I've learned to tap into that and and see that it is what it is. It's not just your dad that you had an issue with. You had an issue with your mom because I always used to feel like we had a great relationship and we were really close. But I still had some issues with her. You had resentment because she chose to allot her time in other places instead of cultivating your upbringing and your progression. Correct. And then there's a huge age gap between me and my brother. And so when I saw her doing those things for my brother, who is almost 10 years younger than me, I'm like, well, wait a minute. So now you kind of feeling like you're getting a slap in the face from both parents. Like, Mm -hmm. well, why 10 years ago was everything so different? You make it to his games and you make it to his, you know, recitals and this, that, and the other, but you didn't do me the same favor or the things that I wanted to be involved in, there wasn't time or money for me to do those things. But now there's time and money and everything else for him to do those things. I had issues with both my parents. And I think, you know, I've talked about this on several accounts, but I think it definitely comes to play with certain things dealing with my esteem because, and maybe this is a story I didn't tell. There were plenty of times where I would, I would go to school with holes in my sweaters. I would go to school with patches in my pants or complete holes in my pants because I used to play outside in my uniforms after school. And I would have grass stains in my pants that wouldn't get out, you know, get cleaned after the washer, you know. And then my shoes would be talking by the end of the year. And I wouldn't have an advocate per se, you know, oh my God, Alon needs taken care of or Alon needs XYZ. I was just in the house of 13 plus other people. And they would be working or they would have other things going on or they have other responsibilities that they had to take care of. And I was just kind of one of those things in the air where it's like, oh, yeah, we do have to take care of him. <laughs> and that was like some resentment that I held for a long time, especially when I got in high school and I was able to make money on my own and actually afford to buy stuff for myself and kind of work to build up my self-esteem that was fractured for a very long time. 
due to so many different circumstances. Where are you in your journey of loving yourself? It's a work in progress. I do feel like I have learned to accept who I am. I used to be that person who never felt understood. Like I've always been one of those persons who had like wanderlust. Like you said, you know, I've lived in Arizona. I lived in Texas for a short period of time. You know, it's like a running joke amongst my friends, you know, Enchantra move anywhere. Well, yeah, Enchantra will move anywhere. I I mean, it's just me and my dog. Why won't I? (laughs) So I came to terms probably about Right before I moved back home, I was running, running from my demons, running from my hurt, running from my pain. I don't run from those things anymore because I've learned that they are what they are. Some of the, I guess we would, it would be looked upon as verbal abuse now that I've endured over the years and growing up, whether that be from family or from somebody I thought cared about me. You know, like you say, it's, it's a daily decision, that happiness I choose every day to be happiness. When I see myself going down that that deep, dark hole of feeling worthless, now strong enough to recognize it, whereas in one point in my life, I was not. Mm. So, so my parents separated when I was two, got divorced when I was four. So I never remember my biological father being in the house, obviously. And when I was six, my mom, we lived in California. I was born in California and up until the age of six, my mom, she uprooted me and moved me to Alabama because this was home for her and she wanted to be close to her family. And at six, I'm learning everything. You know, I'm going to school. And at the time people are talking about my accent. They're like, oh, you talk proper. Where are you from? You got good hair. And you know, what are you mixed with? And I, you know, all these things that start to make you start to question who you are mm-hmm. and your identity. And why are there things about you that stick out to people when all you want to do is fall back into the crowd. In my house, I hate to say it, but I've never felt like I fit in because of dreams, aspirations, whatever I wanted to do. It was always downplayed. Oh, you Hollywood. Oh, you think you too much. Yeah. Yeah. You start to really like, well, damn, really, what is wrong with me? Like, why can't mm-hmm. I just be content living in Mobile, Alabama for the rest of my life and getting married and having <laughs> 11 kids and going to this <laughs> church that I grew up in and will go to until the day I die and they gonna bury me, whoever the pastor is at that time. Like, why can't I be content with that? Why can't I be content just going to New Orleans for the holidays <laughs> and that be the only part of the world I see is like New Orleans, Atlanta, heaven forbid you know you want to go somewhere to see alaska and then oh my goodness you trying to go to a whole nother continent and see that what is wrong with you <laughs> and poss- or possibly even live there what is wrong with you you start to be like well damn i'm the common denominator in this what the hell really is wrong with me when i was in arizona i was in an extremely dark place to the mm. point where i had considered committing suicide like it had got that bad wow. It was a lot of hurt, a lot of feeling unworthy, a lot of feeling like nobody will ever want you. So you was with somebody when you was in Arizona? No, I was by myself, but I wanted to be loved. I was really wanting somebody. I was out there about seven years. And I had had friends and stuff like that, but it never really went beyond that. There was this one guy that I really, really like. I mean, things worked out the way they did. But you know, when you're going through it, you don't feel, you don't feel that facts. way. Woo, that is the truth. You. Thank you right. for letting me dodge that bullet. Thank you. Right. But when you caught up, you, that ain't how you feeling. You like, whoa, is me. Why don't they value me? I'm such a good blah, blah, blah. You know, that had been like hit after hit after hit. And like I said, I lived out there with my father. My father wouldn't even come visit me. I am uprooted my whole life and moved across country. And my father couldn't even tell you what apartment complex I was living in. So then I started to devalue myself as a person. And I was like, a man will never want you. He'll never appreciate mm. you. Like your own father don't even want you. What man is going to want you? Like those were the things that were playing in my mind. And I went through a sense of loneliness. It wasn't just one thing. It was a combination of things that have been, been building upon each other. And I have a huge problem with churches 
that downplay therapy or people mm-hmm. in general who downplay therapy because therapy literally saved my life because while I was going through this, I was very active in church. So let me say that because I know yeah. people get on this, you know, pray the this away and pray the that away. That wasn't my problem because I was teaching Sunday school. I was actively working with the youth. I was going to church every Sunday, every Wednesday. So, you know, I was reading my Bible, sitting in my bed, crying myself to sleep, reading my Bible. That is very triggering to me when I hear pastors downplay therapy. Yeah, and I think also the climate is different now than what it was then as well. As far as like people being mentally aware and all of those things, like the climate is far different now. People are more aware. Yeah, I think so. Um, And I've had friends, unfortunately, who have taken their life. So I'm really big on that. You know, I remember I could be just driving to work or I could be whatever. And I would just start crying. Nothing had happened. It just I would just start crying. And I remember this particular morning I was in the shower and I was crying in the shower and I just could not stop crying. And it ran through my mind. Okay, you can slit your wrist. You're in the shower. So it's going to be clean. You know, it ain't going to make a mess because you're in the shower. How long will it take somebody to find you? Like that played in my mind. I will never forget my mom telling me that after her and my father went through a divorce, she was in so much pain, she had considered taking her life. But the only thing that saved her was me. What snapped me out of it was remembering her saying that. And I said, if she loved me enough not to do it to me, how dare I turn around and do that to her? Amazing. My boss at the time, who was a godsend, I was sitting at my desk, still crying, did not know how to stop. And I remember her walking over to me And she slid me a piece of paper and it had a crisis lines number on it. And she said, I don't know what is going on and I don't need to know what's going on, but I need you to get up and walk outside and give them a call right now. And that saved my life. That particular day, that saved my life. And in going through that, I have learned when I start going through a dark place, I found healthier outlets. I like spending time with me. I ha- There was a point where I did not like being alone. But one thing I've learned, I enjoy being with just Enchantra. I think I enjoy being with myself to a fault because <laughs> people always want to do things to go out. And I'm like, no, for what? For what? It's just me. I got my TV. I got my dog. I got my whatever. I'm good. I'll journal. I'll call somebody if I really feel myself going into a deep hole. But luckily now I've gone through counseling and stuff. I've it, it at least has allowed me to know, feel myself when I'm going down that dark path. For, for at least a year, I was on all the medications. I was on medication for anxiety. I was on medication for depression. I was on medication to sleep. I was on medication to wake up. Like you name it, I was on it wow. just to get through the day for about a year. Luckily, you know, I'm not on any of that stuff anymore. I've learned the triggers in myself and I have learned to kind of, you know, be able to pick up on other people's energy Mm -hmm. when they're going through Wow. Never knew that. And I think, you know, kind of similar to your situation, it's kind of making me think it's like, damn, Alon, dealing with hurt from my dad in terms of like him not caring at all. Also dealing with my late sister, the hurt and the the trauma that came with that how I felt when it came to not feeling like I deserve certain things that I should have had my sister she claimed me as a dependent because my mom wasn't there so this happened around my middle school so I was like maybe like 12 to like maybe 13 and my sister of course she was 22 to like 23 years old she was 10 years older than me my mom appointed her as I was her dependent She had ended up traumatizing me in a way that I didn't even realize. I began to develop an unhealthy pattern of acts of service because I didn't know what me being a dependent to her meant at 12 or whatever. And she was giving me these things. I felt like I had to return the favor because that was my sister. I felt like, you know, that wasn't the role for her. I didn't understand that that was the role that was placed upon her by obligation. She ended up perpetuating that by saying that now I have to pay for her gas, for her car. Or she would also do things like 
if we weren't getting along or if she was doing some jacked up crap, like now I felt like I had to shut my mouth. She was just do selfish stuff. And we were like oil and water. We just did not get along. And so there were plenty of times also with that same money she was using, she would go buy a car. And then I would just be left in the dust. When I got older and made sense of it, I got mad at her. And then I also got mad at my mom for not supervising that as she should have and not knowing. But that was the reason why my mom finally left my dad and finally came back home because she knew my sister wasn't doing right by me. And that was like a hurt I had to bury with her because I never really got over it because how I looked at it was your situation was far from mine for sure in terms of being dropped off the mobile. But knowing your situation was worse, now that I'm being dropped off in it at four, you should know what that's like. And if you were being served as an advocate for me or as an obligatory guardian for me, then knowing what that's like, you should have been taking care of your sibling. And you didn't do that. You chose to find an out for yourself. Mm. And that was like a level of hurt I just could not get over. And it really fucked with my self-esteem because, again, it goes back to that thing like Alon doesn't deserve these things unless if it's outside of a certain season of time. But then the question goes back to how do we expect people to give us something they never received? That's true. I, I know, you know, your sister has moved on and things like that. And I'm not one to tell you what to do, but I've learned with people, especially family in a lot of cases, the grace has to come by seeing how fucked up their situation was. And unfortunately their fucked up situation they move it down to you because they think that's the norm. Yeah, I don't know how to handle that. The dynamic was far different for me as a boy than it was for her. She had a companion, a life companion. Mm -hmm. She had my oldest sister. They were only a year and some change to two years apart. Whereas I'm mm -hmm. literally by myself and I'm the only boy. And I do recognize there's some privilege in that because there were some choices that I had that they didn't have. Because the love was still there. But I think what hurt more when she was alive she would not be accountable for it. She would not hold herself accountable. She would not take accountability for it. That was just something that we never really talked about or hashed through because I didn't want to disappoint myself. When she passed away, it was just necessary for me to bury it. And the same thing with my dad. I just had to bury that hurt. At least with my dad, like I've had many of conversations. And again, it was the same thing, lack of accountability. There is a preparation that you have to do and finding some peace when somebody's not accountable versus when somebody ain't even here anymore. Yeah, and I'll agree with you. I know one of the things that slapped me in the face when I started my progress of trying to get past all the hurt and pain with my dad was this woman asked me, I'll never forget. She said, but what if he never says I'm sorry? Then what right. do you do? Mm -hmm. And that was a slap in the face to me. Because mm. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, what do you mean he ain't never going to say he's sorry? What do you mean she ain't never going to say they sorry? Like, it just never dawned on me that I could have so much resentment pent up against somebody and they wouldn't apologize because in their mind, they have no accountability for what they did. Yeah. But I think that goes back to that's all they know. And so I kind of grew up with that dynamic to where it's like when I actually need something, I can't even speak aloud and say, this is what I need because I'm only conditioned in my mind to say, well, it's not Christmas or it's not my birthday. Wow. I will say that my life growing up somewhat mimics that. Now, people did ask me, you know, what do you want for your birthday? What do you want for Christmas? And that kind of thing. But other aspects, because even at my life, I've been on this earth for um, 40 plus years at this point. Um, <laughs> they, um, I still struggle with asking for help. I do. Yeah. I really struggle mm -hmm. with me asking too. for help. That yeah. is one way to gag me. Like, Alon, what do you need from me? I'd be like, oh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we laughing, but it's no sad, clue. right? Yeah, it's, it, it's horrible. It's horrible. Yeah. But, I mean, it's the same way with me. Like, if you were to call me and be like, hey, Enchantress, I need X, Y, Z. Okay, boom, it's done. 
But for me to ask you for something, oh yeah. no, you might as well take my dog from me or something crazy like that. Like it's hard. It's really hard. Like my mom even tells me now, well, why don't you talk to me? Why don't you say this? Or why don't you, you know, if you need help, why don't you say? Because like in my mind, I've been programmed that if I ask you for something or I ask you for help, it's a burden, right? And nobody wants to be a burden on anybody. For sure. So we're going to move on to reflection questions. So first question, do I think I am a good human being? Yes, I do. I'm sure a lot of people would answer the same thing. I don't think right. anybody's going to say I'm a trash ass human. But <laughs> <laughs> for one thing about me, like I'm everybody's cheerleader. When I found out that you had, you know, you was moving to the Big Apple, I was like, what? Like, I was so happy for you. <laughs> I remember that conversation. <laughs> that conversation was so funny. Sham was, like, in the lobby, sitting on the couch in the lobby. And I was so fed up on where I was because, like like what I said, I only gave myself a year. I was like, Alone, you got a good year. Like, you're going to get this in and you're going to do whatever you got to do and you're going to move. And one day I was just so fed up with just the bull crap that was happening. And I looked at Shan. I said, you know, a one-way flight sounds nice. And, and Shan said... Yeah, a one-way flight <laughs> does sound nice. <laughs> I will always remember that. And, of course, R.I.P. Pat Butler, she was present in that moment. She was just like, yeah, that one-way flight. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's and it's true. And Pat Pat got it because, you know, Pat, Um, I think Pat was from, like, Detroit or something, wasn't she? No, Pat is from Mobile. She moved to Detroit for a radio okay. job. Yeah, she moved, like, to a lot of different places. Yeah, so she just got it. She just got mm-hmm. that it was more outside of this small little bubble we call Mobile. Like I said, a year is nothing. A lot of people feel like a year is a long time. A year, the older you get, you realize a year ain't nothing. It's just a blip. It's just a blip. And, you know, now you, the best coast, the West Coast. Oh, my God. <laughs> And I know you're going to do great things there. So I'm just glad that you stepped out. You didn't let anybody put you in a bubble, put you in a box. You know, you're you're doing your thing. I'm always going to be a cheerleader for that. And if there's people that I see who are struggling, I always try to give what I feel is sound advice. But I always try to hear people out for what they need. I know my mom has one time told me, you know, sometimes people just want to talk, vent. They don't necessarily want you to fix. I'm a fixer. I'm a fixer. And so Mm -hmm. I've had to learn that. It's sometimes hard. Like sometimes it'd be blood coming out because I'd be biting my tongue so hard (laughs) because not to say nothing. But I definitely am a cheerleader. So therefore I believe that I am a good human being. So you're a cheerleader and a fixer. I believe I'm a healer. I can see that. And I do believe, you know, I'm a good human being. But I just feel like for the people that come to me, they know what they're getting when it comes to me. They know I'm very much a very intimate person. I'm not a sitting duck in any of anybody's life that I'm a part of. People come to me for almost anything, you know. That it comes with a level of protecting, right? I'm protecting my energy, protecting what I know I'm able to give and provide. I think even what Erica said, that that really hit me. That last episode, Knowing Your Equity, um, mm. I had to take a lot of time to really think about that because when she said that to me, that hit me to my core. And that was just something that I started bringing on to other people to make sure they were mindful of that because we kind of forget our equity and we forget our worth and what we provide to people that people... Actually, they don't even care about because they kind of take advantage of it and they know that's the thing that they go to you for, but they come to you like it's something that they deserve or it's something that, you know, it just comes at a disposable thing. Sometimes you have to remind people like, nah, now I'm putting you in a boundary so you know that my equity doesn't just come at your disposal. Right. Um, Erica had a lot of gems. Um, I absolutely adore Erica. She is one of the most honest people I've ever met. She's very transparent and she's very real. And I just absolutely love her. And I'm so glad to see her making strides that I knew that she would make. Like I always knew Erica would leave everybody in the dust and that's what she's doing. And I'm so glad to see it. It's not even just about have access. A lot of people just don't deserve it. 
you know, you definitely have to protect your energy at all costs, especially when it comes to esteem. When you start functioning at a healthier vibration or a higher vibration in life, you definitely have to be very protective of who you let have access to that. Question two, am I someone deserving of love? Yes. And it took me a long time to realize that, but I am. I am. Um, So where are you in terms of like receiving that love, Shan? (laughs) I always love this because I feel like you don't really tap into that as much. That Virgo energy be coming out. You be like shutting people out. (laughs) Which is probably going to happen now. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am finally at this point in my life ready to share it with somebody. I used to not be. I used to be like, why do I want to get married? I ain't never seen anything positive come out of a marriage. Why do I want to have kids? You know, not that kids aren't a blessing, but, you know, people talk about, oh, you've never wanted to get married. You never wanted to have kids. Like, I even had somebody ask me, like, what is wrong with you? Like, why at your age have you never been married? You know, But, you know, especially growing up in the deep south, like, it's like as soon as you turn 23, people be like, well, wait, what's going on? Like, your old maid, your, your clock ticking, you know, and then to be my age and not have those things, they've never been a desire. Because Mm -hmm. I've never seen anything positive come out of them. But as we go through this healing process, learn our value, learn our equity, learn our worth, which I love that word now, equity. No, for real. I like that. You start to be like, okay, yeah, I am open to sharing my life with somebody. We don't necessarily have to be married, but I want a life partner to walk this walk with me. I want the love of my life. Right now, by being open to it, we are slowly starting to do things like not not be a hermit, you know, because unless he break into the house, how we going to (laughs) meet? You know what I'm saying? So to answer your question, I am open to receiving love. It's like a little, you know, rosebud slowly opening. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's still walls there. And they will be there until, you know, we continue to get where we need to be in life as far as the healing process goes. Yeah. I think for me, I came at a later time to realize, like way later. Like I never even flirted with that idea until maybe like 27 28 and so when it happened it kind of opened up a door that never shut so now I'm like regardless of what I've been through in the story like I still be just as optimistic as I was before I got hurt the first time now that that door is open um I don't let my past situations hinder my future, but I do take my learning lessons and I do give myself time to heal. Also, I don't know. I think just me in general, like I'm most comfortable by myself. So it's very hard already for me to include new people in general. But I think that that want and that desire is there only because that is something that I've always wanted, but I just never was honest with myself until now. I agree with you. I think I have always somewhat wanted it. I mean, whether it was in the form of a, you know, relationship, whether it was with, um, you know, my parents or, you know, with a significant other, you know, I mean, how did I get to a point where I went so dark, you know, of where I was ready to take my own life was because I was yearning for something and I was yearning for a partnership. And I ended up in a situation where, you know, it was a partnership. Like I said, now I think I'm very glad that that is no longer the case. I think as humans, we do yearn and desire for companionship, right? No matter what that looks like. Unfortunately, more times than not, we end up in bad relationships because Mm -hmm. sometimes whether with them too right and whether it's a comfort thing like okay well I've been with yeah they treat me like shit but you know I've been with them for so long I don't want to take the time to get to know anybody like I had a girl tell me that she's in an abusive relationship and she you know her excuse for not wanting to get out was that she didn't want to start over and she was young mind you that is so crazy to me and I mean they got married and stuff and I'm you know I hope everything's a-okay well, you know, with how she's doing, but you know, that was her reasoning to me about why she didn't want to, you know, leave her relationship. They had two kids together and she's just like, you know, um, I don't want to start over. over. 
That's so oh. crazy to me when people that be their logic because I could understand how you could get there. Mm-hmm. It's not that I don't understand it, right? But it's kind of like for your own benefit, knowing that you're unhappy, but the only thing that's stopping you is because you think of starting over as an overwhelming thing when it really isn't that. You know what I'm saying? Like we create so many hurdles that are so small, but we magnify them. I know I've made huge hurdles for myself in the past that, you know, looking back now, I was like, why was you tripping over that? That small thing had you stressed out. That's the beauty of growing, right? You know, you live and you learn and you're able to tell your story to the next person who's going through it to help them through it. That's the process. That's why we go through what we go through. So question three, how can I surround myself with people who encourage me? Oh, that's a good one. You know, I think like minds find like minds. Like, for example, Mm. who would have ever known you and I would, I mean, like, you know, like there's there's a huge age gap. We both were not in the best of situation career wise. You know what I'm saying? You weren't getting fed what you needed to get fed to be where you wanted to be. Hence your one-way ticket. But like Spears found like Spears, like you and I still keep in touch. I holler at Ariel every, every once in a while. You know what I'm saying? She's another like spirit. Like I like to say I can connect with pretty much anybody, which I can. I mean, as long as you're respectful, I feel like I can connect with anybody <laughs> on any level. We have to learn to trust our intuition. They don't call it red flags for nothing. And a lot of us mm-hmm. will see red flags, hear fucking alarms. And ignore the fuck out of them. Hear alarms, be fucking lights flashing this shit. And we'll be like, you know what? I love him. I love her. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But they don't mean you no good. Like everything about them oogs toxicity. And I've gotten to a point There's a lot of external factors that I've cut off in my life. There's certain things I don't expose myself to anymore because it just got so toxic. And as you heal, you will start to recognize toxic traits and toxic things that you just don't want to have nothing to do with it because it will literally fuck with your spirit. Like, for example, I don't watch reality TV anymore. Like, I gave up reality TV years ago because it just got to be so toxic. Triggering. It's so Mm -hmm. triggering. And there are things on, you know, I'm on Instagram a lot and stuff like that. But like Facebook, I got off that. I recently got back on, but I don't be on it like that no more. Because especially with this election um, that happened and all that, like people that I thought I was genuinely friends with, I found out, oh, y'all racist and a motherfucker. (laughs) Like, you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Shit, I didn't need to know. You know, I'm glad Mm -hmm. that you exposed yourself for what it was. But that was really shit I didn't need to know. For me, just kind of what you said, knowing your tribe, and it's people that you meet along the way, and knowing your tribe, you know the bond will always be there. There were people within my tribe that I met along the way in Alabama. Mm -hmm. In all of my experiences in Alabama, I had to leave them when I went to New York. Then there were people in New York that I found in my tribe that I'm so grateful for that I end up having to leave to come here. And so my whole reasoning, I was just kind of like, you know, I'm going to just do it. Like, I just, it wasn't about who I knew back when or who I knew or who I'm leaving. It's about who I'm going to meet in this. And that's what made me optimistic about this move because I know no one really. Mm -hmm. I just knew that along my journey here, I'm going to find my tribe to enrich my experience here, just like what I did two times over. I also have the trust in God and the universe or whatever to know that those people will come along. I'm not going to force it. I'm not going to put myself in situations to be looking for certain situations and forcing certain situations to happen. I'm very big on that. I will attract what needs to come to me. I'm not going out to chase it. And I think that's something that with my esteem that helps me better is to have the mind frame to attract more so than go out for. And you're absolutely right. And going back to what you said about not knowing anybody, you're right. It will follow you. So another story about my move to the desert, and a.k.a. Arizona. <laughs> and it was definitely a desert for me because that was a dry <laughs> seven years in many ways. Um <laughs> <laughs> But the only person I knew out there was my father and his wife and, you know, my, my, my siblings. So I move out there six months into living there, me and my stepmom get into a verbal altercation and it was over something really, 
really small. I ended up leaving the house. I had only been there six months. I didn't know anybody. I worked with a girl who me and her got close and she ended up leaving, but her boyfriend and sister were still in Arizona. God put it in my spirit, whether you want to call it God, universe, whatever. I ended up calling this girl. She told me I could come to her house. Now she was a single mother in college, was living off, you know, government assistance. Not only did she let me live with her until I was able to get on my feet, she gave me her bed and she also fed me. I didn't know her. She didn't know me. She had a young son. She didn't know if I was going to take advantage of her son. And like I said, she was like, I will sleep on the couch. You can have my bed. I had only been out there six months. So you don't necessarily have to know anybody and you damn sure ain't got to have family. God will put you in front of the people you need to have in your life to make sure you are okay. That is the truth. Question four, when do I feel most comfortable in my own skin? Honestly, I think for me, when I'm helping people. So for me, like I say, right now I work in HR um, and I enjoy helping people. You know, for some people, it may be small. You know, I help people get jobs. But when I see people who, you know, when I pass them in the hallway at work or whatever, and they're like, hey, because I always try to remember everybody's names or whatever. And just to see their smile and just for them to tell me how much they're enjoying what they're doing and things like that, that makes me feel good in, in my skin. And it makes me feel that, you know, because at the end of the day, there's a bigger purpose than why we're here, right? It's not about us. It's about how we can help make things easier or usher along the next group of people you know that that's that's our purpose and so I think anytime you're walking in your true purpose and I feel like mine is as a helper a fixer I think that's when I'm most confident in my skin and in my in my body and and, and in who I am because I laid down that foundation so early I'm always comfortable but I'll tell you (laughs) when I'm not comfortable and when I'm not comfortable I typically don't like to be in environments where I'm in a room full of a whole bunch of people I don't know. I don't Mm. like that, especially if I'm by myself. I don't know how healthy that is because I'd rather be alone than to be alone around a whole bunch of people. Some people, they thrive on situations like that. But me, I'm not comfortable. That makes me so uncomfortable. Again, just like what I said last episode, people have heightened perceptions of me. I could be over here thinking like they being shady or whatever. And then people always have a stigma of me like he don't like me or he's stuck up or whatever, blah, blah, blah. He not speaking or he being antisocial. He don't want to be bothered when that's not the energy that I give. You know, I don't know how to break out of that. But do you think that's people projecting? Because I've had people tell me they think I'm intimidating. Like, I've had people say that. I get that all the time. I've become self-conscious of that, and I try to, like, smile more instead of having, like, resting bitch face or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) But the thing is, I'm a Virgo, so... 10 times out of 10 is because I'm in my head. It ain't got nothing to do with you. Half the time I haven't even seen you. I hate to say it like that, but half the time I'm looking past you because I got something more pressing on my mind. Like my mind is always going. So I think that's people projecting their insecurities because at the end of the day, why can't you think you the shit? And then my question becomes, why don't you, the person who's looking at you, think they the shit? When it comes to, you know, like Cat Williams said, it's called self-esteem for a reason. It's your esteem of self. So if you're projecting that I think I'm better than you, well, I don't think I'm better than you, but I do think highly of myself. Why don't you think highly of yourself? And so then that has to become the question that they need to ask themselves. Like what you said, I think I started thinking like, what is it that I can change when it came to the smiles or when it came to, you know, speaking to people or whatever, and I would still get it. And so that's what would cause like a different level of esteem issues, making me feel like I'm giving off our energy that doesn't make people feel comfortable. And then that's when this whole dimming my light came from to make other people company. And I and I realized how that then wasn't beneficial to me. For me to dim my light, for somebody to feel comfortable, I'm going to attract. I'm not, I'm not going to put myself in those situations. Don't dim your light. You're absolutely right. If people can't handle your light, then they don't need to be in your life. 
I mean, at yeah. the end of the day, like I shouldn't have to lower myself or make myself feel less than to put you up on a pedestal. If there's things you see in me, because, you know, there's blood suckers too, right? So people will mm-hmm. see your light and they'll want to be a part of it. Cause like they see your vision, they see your dream and they see you going on, but you always got those blood suckers or hanger ons, you know, who's going to try to check, chase your coattail or try to suck the life out of you by trying to downplay who you are or try to make you feel less than. And if you've already dealt with that, like like you and I have both experienced as children, it does, that goes back to that onion, right? Now you've triggered something in me and brought up something I thought I had gotten over. We have to be mindful of those things and we have to be mindful of the the relationships and the people that we allow around us because of that. And if you're doing anything triggering, then I need to let you, I need to be able to cut it off. I think a lot of the problem is we don't know when to tell people no or stop. And we have to learn to set healthy boundaries for ourselves. It's, you know, you have to make yourself the priority because nobody else will. Number five, do I focus on what I have or do I focus on what I'm missing? I think that we should focus on more of what we have. Um, And I say that hesitantly because I know that sometimes I struggle (laughs) on what I'm missing. Like, I'm just going to be 100. I'm going to keep it 100. Like, like we're human. We all get caught up in what's missing. It goes back to what I was saying, like, with materialism, you know, or when you're a certain age, you're like, okay, well, I had the same education as this person. Or I had the same this as that person. How come they're so further along in life Mm -hmm. or in their professional or physical than we are? I have two nieces and a nephew, and, you know, I'm of the age where I was around pre-social media. So I know, you know, if you wanted to know what was going on with your favorite celebrity or who they were dating or this and the other, your ass had to go to the grocery store and buy, you know, (laughs) the little teeny bopper magazine or whatever. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, everything is so instant. You know what I'm saying? You know stories before they even, you know what's going on because people go live and and show you the trash Mm -hmm. part of themselves before it can even show up (laughs) on TMZ or whatever. And the thing is, we don't know what the long-term effects of that is. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're seeing some of that now because it does have us focus on what we don't have. But the thing is, a lot of times that shit rented. Ain't nobody saying that. A lot of times, you know, that perfect skin is filtered through like 10 filters. You know what I'm saying? People aren't saying that. You know, a lot of times you didn't say, you know, somebody didn't spend 10, 20K on getting their whole body, whole face redone. You know, I call it the Kardashian-Jenner effect. You know, we don't know what the long-term effects of that is. Now, I'll never, you know, um, trash anybody for, you know, getting their money or whatever, but I do feel like 10 years down the road, we are really going to see the long-term effects of this materialism. And and it's going to leave a lot of people in really, really bad situations yeah and I feel like that's why I choose to stay grounded and I think the lessons that I'm learning now and me applying those lessons is really gonna help me because I really try not to get caught up in materialism now I've dated somebody very much in that life just like what you said when it comes to you know the things that celebrities wear that people go and they shop after yeah it is rented I'll Mm -hmm. be the first one to say it, you know, they don't buy that stuff. They have a stylist and they hire a stylist and the stylist goes out to all of these different brands and asks for these things and they have to take them back. I say that to say, you know, that has never been a foresight for me. I've, When I think of things that I'm missing, it is never like a material thing for me, and it has never been that way. Whatever I have, I'm going to have within my means. So I've always been great about that. My whole thing on what I've missing is always been like looking at people and seeing how far along they are in their journey. And then I kind of be thinking like, damn, like how have I in my story been so pushed back to where I can't propel myself to get to that level because that's where I feel like I should be. And I feel like that's the toxic part of me. 
I can say I suffer from it. I can't speak for everybody else, but it's the same. I've never really been, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like to have nice things, but you know, I don't have to be walking around with the latest, all the designer labels or whatever. Like that's just not realistic to me. And truth be told, it's really not conducive with my lifestyle. You know what I'm saying? So I definitely feel you like, I always feel like I'm reaching for the next thing in my career. And it has been to a detriment in me because I have sacrificed things like love, um, companionship uh, because of it. Do I have those regrets? No, because at the time, I mean, you know, I felt like there were other things that I was focused on. You know, maybe I I could have had more of a work-life balance, but, you know, that's water under the bridge. I can't cry about it. Now it's a matter of learning how to okay, get over all the resets. And now it's like, okay, you need to push yourself to get to the finish line. When I was in New York, I was running, running, running. Yes, I made progress, but progress did not come as a result to my running. I promise y'all it didn't. It did not. That's good. Stop, be patient, wait your turn, and attract what you need. That's my best advice to give. Attract, don't run. Mm. question six might it be that i'm looking for something i can't get possibly (laughs) 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 yeah possibly (laughs) i say that because i mean you gotta people have to learn their lane right <laughs> you know what I'm saying? no real talk people have to learn people need to learn they lane and you know <laughs> y'all this is me and shan that is literally the moment that now nah, what y'all just witnessed right now is that first flight situation i was like first flight sound first flight does sound nice <laughs> I mean, I think we should all have be ambitious, right? Yes. And I think we should all have goals, you know, like the yes. saying goes, if your goals don't scare you, your goals aren't big enough. That's So truth. that's why I say possibly. However, in the midst of that, you have to know your lane. You know what I mean? Like if your strength, like for me, I'm a communicator, you know, I study communications. Um, I worked in sales and customer service all my life. Like, I think I have this uncanny knack of having people feel comfortable around me and being able to build people's trust in that sense. That is a skill set that I believe that I've developed over the years, but I also think that that is what God put in me, right? So what do I look like trying to become an aerospace engineer? Although I would, you know, love to do that and I would love, you know, to make that kind of a paycheck and this, that, and the other, that's not my strength. You know, I think we just have to be realistic with our desires versus also the skill set that God, the universe, whatever you want to call it, has given us to be able to function in that lane. Sometimes we exhaust our own self-esteem on things that's not achievable and things that we aren't wired for. Let's just say for the people that we see on American Idol and they get so far in those phases and then they get to the judges and they realize they're there for comedic relief because they actually can't sing. But really, they thought their whole life that they could sing. So now you fucking up with somebody's esteem. Now they have to come to terms like, oh, wow, I can't sing. And they're going to get themselves all flustered up, like trying to establish something that they just absolutely don't have. So I think we have to think about that and kind of cope with some things and like how we show up in the world and saying like, you know what? I'm not going to let this fuck with my esteem because this is how I show up. These are what my strengths are. These are what my weaknesses are. I have to be okay with that. You got to be able to weed out the people kind of going back to what we said earlier, the people who are in your corner, people will gaslight the hell out of you. And you have to be able to distinguish who's laughing with you or who's laughing at you. Right. And that comes from learning your tribe and also to learning who you are as a person. Yeah. Yeah. That is so true. Oh my God. When I tell you this episode has been filled with so many gems, thank you so much, Shan, for showing up. 
I really yes, do sir. appreciate you and thank you for sharing your story. So you guys, where are you with your esteem? We all know it's a battle, but I would love for y'all to share y'all's story. You can follow us on a whole mood podcast on Instagram. Also, feel free to subscribe, like, share. You can find us anywhere you find your podcast. I'm Alon, that's Shan, a whole mood. Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly matter. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.